Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, one of the toughest challenges for people throughout this whole coronavirus situation has been the isolation, right? Especially when we were in a complete lockdown mode. Like we just wanted to be with people, but we couldn't. You know, naturally extroverts struggled more than introverts, but eventually it gets to all of us. And it proves that there is a deep longing in every one of us to connect with others on a personal level. In fact, in the midst of the quarantine, you may have seen this parody video by the Holderness family. Kind of drives home my point. Check this out. How's everybody doing? A couple of weeks of this now. Are you feeling like I am? Because I'm one of those types. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I constantly need someone. I'd go to parties, they were fun. Those days are done. Saying hello. I'd hug everyone I know. Especially if you're a bro. Can't do that no more. spouse she's introverted like a mouse but now she needs to leave the house she needs to get out cause now she's all by herself usually likes it but right now doesn't want to be My voice there at the end. <laughs> it was high. I mean, is right. so that hot? No, it was high. Oh, it was high. It's not, high. Not so it was hot. the piano solo. Oh. Nope, that's the wrong key. Okay. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, the hill's playing with you, honey. I know. 
You know, this whole COVID situation and the fact that we are wired to be around others and have human contact, it got me thinking about God and why God wants to be with people. I mean, what must it be like for God when he wants to be with people and they're not wanting to be with him? What must it be like for God when he wants to be with me and I don't show up? So we're in this series called The Best Life Possible. And last week I talked about how we need a time in our day, every day, to stop, be quiet, and connect with God. That that's a great way to fill our spiritual gas tanks daily. Well, this morning, we're going to take that connection with God even further. I'm going to suggest that if you want an even better life than that, the best life possible, you need to include God in your daily activities as well. And what I'm going to talk about today is so important that it's become a part of our culture here at Hill Country Bible Church. We say that we are imperfect people learning to do life with a perfect God. And the key to this statement is the middle part, learning to do life, all of life, every moment of life with God. You know, a lot of scholars have said that if you were going to pick a single theme that runs all the way through the Bible from start to finish, it would be the Bible is about human life with God. In the beginning, God creates the world and then he makes the man and the woman. And we're told the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he formed. Now the garden is described at great length. We're told that God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, pleasing to the eye and good for food. And we get these odd little details about Eden. For example, Genesis 2.12 says this, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Hmm. Why in the world is it telling us that? Okay, we'll come back to that later. So he makes the whole earth and he plants a garden as a place to be with the man and the woman. It's about being with. One of the most intriguing phrases in the Bible is, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, of course, God is spirit. He, he doesn't have a body. He doesn't have legs or feet. So what does it sound like when God goes for a walk? What sound does that make? The point of this remarkable phrase is that walking is something you do with somebody you care about, right? A friend with a friend, a child with a parent. Two people in love would go for a walk. It's not really so much about the walk, it's about being with. The God of the Bible is a God who wants to be with. You were made to walk with God. You were made for a with God life. But the man and the woman, you may know, sin, and so do you and I. And we're told they hide from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Remember who made the trees? God made the trees. The first person in the universe to be stood up is God. They hide in the trees God made. They use the gifts of God to hide from the presence of God. We still do that. But God won't give up on this dream. And so repeatedly in Genesis, we see this little phrase, with God, over and over again. There's this character named Enoch. We hardly know anything about him, but we're told that Enoch walked with God. We're told that Noah walked with God, that the Lord was with Abraham, the Lord is with his son Isaac and with his other son Ishmael. We're told that God is with Jacob, the deceiver. That God is with Joseph. 
And this is interesting. Joseph has a really hard stretch in his life. And Genesis deliberately says, the Lord was with Joseph. And this is when he was in slavery. And then the Lord was with Joseph when he was in prison. In other words, God is not just in the garden anymore. God's in slavery. God is in prison. The oddest, most painful places end up being places where life with God is possible. The Bible goes on, says that God is with Moses. He wants to be with all of Israel. He commands them to build a tabernacle. Then later comes the temple. And we're told specifically in the Bible that the temple has gold, aromatic resin, and the priest's breastplate has onyx on it. Why are we told that? It's because God's experiment isn't done yet. What was going on in Eden is still going on. So God is with David, we're told. God is with Ruth, many others. Until one day, God cuts a hole in the wall and a baby is born. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now in Jesus, the human race gets a little glimpse of what this with God life is really like. Not just that, Jesus says this in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you're the branch, Jesus says. So you're gonna bear fruit, you're gonna do wonderful things in your life, but your job is not to try to do wonderful things. Your job is just to abide in the vine, which is Jesus, from one moment to the next. If you don't do that, Jesus says, nothing much will come out of your life. It's kind of like he invites his followers into an experiment because they're just ordinary people. And how can an ordinary person do life on this earth with God in ordinary moments? You know, Jesus kind of launches the greatest research project of all time, beside which discoveries of electricity, the wheel, everything else pale in comparison. He calls this eternal life. And most people don't understand the fullness of that phrase. Most people, when they hear eternal life, they think of life that never ends. But the phrase eternal life in the New Testament, it's not just about its duration, the quantity. It's about its quality. It's describing life with God. Jesus says, I'm going to make this available. Who wants to try? And he starts with 12 disciples. They're like his pilot group. He appointed 12 that they might be, here's that phrase again, with him. One of them, Judas, flunks out. The other 11 changed the world because they were with God through Jesus. And then there was the Acts 2 community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to breaking bread together. And the way they served, the way they gave, the way they lived, the spirit-filled with God life, it changed our entire world. And the preoccupation of the New Testament writers is with the nature and availability of this with God life. The Apostle Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. John says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Well then, over the centuries, every once in a while, a follower of Jesus gets a vision for this kind of life. Centuries ago, a man named Nicholas Herman, who was an uneducated household servant from a poor family, got converted at age 18, looking at a tree and thinking, 
God must have made that tree. He goes into a monetary, spends his life in the kitchen as a dishwasher. But he devotes his life to being with God. He became known as Brother Lawrence. When he died, they found some of his letters and turned them into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, written way back in the 17th century. And it's now thought to be outside the Bible, perhaps the most widely read book in the history of the human race by an uneducated dishwasher and all about life with God. Well, I've read it several times. It's now available for free in a PDF version online. So if you've never read it, you really should. You can find the link to this free electronic version on your outline or it's about three bucks on Amazon for a hard copy. Do yourself a favor and read that short book. It gives further insight into how to do life with God. But now it's our turn to figure out how to do life with God in our day, in our modern world. We have to figure out as the disciples and the early church and Brother Lawrence did, how many moments of my life can I fill with the conscious awareness of God's presence? How many moments of my life can I have them before my mind with my will surrendered to him? Can I do that at home, at work, in the car, when I'm online, when I'm watching TV, when I'm with people? Can I do the with God life all the time? That's the question I'd like to pose to each of us, the experiment I'd like us to go after in the coming weeks. You know, recently, I've been trying to make this the goal of my day. More than getting any particular thing done, can I just keep God in my mind? I had a meeting a while back, and when it was done, I realized I had failed for an hour and a half at this goal. Hadn't thought about or listened to God a single time. And I work at a church, right? And then I had to drive somewhere and I was grumbling in my spirit because I felt like I had too much to do and not enough time to do it. You ever have those thoughts? Feeling rushed, impatient, ill-tempered. And then came this thought. Brian, either way, you'll go through the next two hours of your life. You can do them without me. Now, you can feel stressed, pressured, angry. You can feel sorry for yourself, be impatient, be kind of a pain in the neck to the people around you, be preoccupied. You can do those two hours that way. Or you can do those two hours with me. You can be glad you're alive, grateful you were given a life, joyful that you actually have work to do and recognize that, that I, not you, am running the universe. And actually, I was doing pretty well with it before you were ever even born. And I'll probably be able to manage whether or not you get your to-do list done in the next two hours. You have two hours to live. You can do it without me or you can do it with me. I said, God, I want to do it with you. You know, the with God life, it's not a life of more religious activities or devotions or something. It's life and peace with the maker and runner of the universe each moment. The without God life is the opposite of that. It'll kill you. And by the way, Jesus came to save us from the without God life right now, not just in eternity. In the early 20th century, a Christian named Frank Laubach embraced this experiment of the with God life. And this is what he wrote. The most wonderful discovery that has ever come to me is that I do not have to wait any hour for anybody can be as rich as God. God has yet to bless anybody except right where they are. For do you not see that God is trying experiments with human lives? 
That is why there's so many of them. He has 1,700,000,000 experiments going on around the world at this moment. And his question is, how far will this man and that woman allow me to carry this hour? How far? How far for you? That is the experiment. Now, a lot of you know about the scientific method, right? In an experiment, you have to start by forming a hypothesis. Then you test it, and you have to be ruthlessly honest about the results. We ought to be just as truthful about where does stuff work and where does it not work when it comes to God and this with God life. So that's what we're going to do. And I want to give you three truths to think about this morning. First, God wants to make every moment of my day glorious with his presence. This is the core of the with God life. We can talk about different practices, relationships, experiences, but what all those things are about is freeing me up, my mind, my body, my habits to be with God. That is where the good life, a glorious existence is found. The prophet Habakkuk said, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah, we put people to work doing research on all sorts of other things. If we have people researching subatomic particles and laboratory rats and diet drinks, shouldn't we put somebody on the With God Life Project? When we enter into the spiritual realm of life with God, this is not just talk. This is not just church activity. This is reality. We are literally going to be doing frontline research on the most important arena of human existence. So when this message is done, here's the deal. Everybody is going to the lab. You go to your office, your home, your neighborhood. You're going to the lab to do research. Can I live with God in this place, in this moment? And the test is just this. How many times a day can I surrender my mind and my will to God? Our goal is not to try to sin less or increase our devotional practices or do lots and lots of good deeds. It is simply life on the vine. Abide in me, Jesus said. Increasing the number of moments I live in surrendered awareness of God. I want to make this really simple. Every day is nothing but a collection of moments. How many seconds are there in a day? 86,400 seconds in a day. And the question is, how many of them can I live with God? You don't have to be a spiritual giant to sign up for this one. And let's say you're not. Let's say on average, because you have to have a baseline if you're going to do research to test the hypothesis. Let's say right now, except Sundays, you're averaging about five seconds of connection with God each day. And that's not like spiritual giant territory. It's a pretty carnal life, really. Maybe a couple seconds early in the morning, a few other seconds during the day, about five seconds total. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So here's the test. On Monday, tomorrow, could I get it from five seconds to six? Because if I can get it to six, maybe I can go to seven and then eight, and then 10, and then 15, then 20, and who knows what God will do. Can I simply grow in my capacity to have moments where I'm aware of and surrendered to God? That is life in the Spirit. So we're going to go out and test that, and then ask the questions, where did it go well, and where did I fail? And then we'll go back to the lab again. Now, mostly, mostly the with God life is something I do with my mind. The Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Psalmist says this, I have set the Lord always before me. 
Paul says we take captive every thought to Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means there are some thoughts where I know I invite God to be a part of them. And then other thoughts are what might be called not God thoughts. And those thoughts are either coming from my flesh, the world, or the enemy. And I know since I'm a pastor, you assume I'm perfect and all. Well, here's a shocker for you. I have my fair share of not God thoughts. And and sometimes I have them in the midst of God-inspired thoughts. I still battle the old flesh. I mean, I can be driving down the road, singing a praise tune, and then a maniac swerves into my lane. And all of a sudden, my thoughts are not, Lord, please bless that wonderful human being. No, not at all. But here's the cool thing. As soon as I become aware of it, I can take that not God thought, confess it to God, and then I'm with God again. See, we can go back and forth between the flesh and the spirit in a second. Paul wrote, the mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. That's exactly the way it works. When I'm having not God thoughts, there'll be all kinds of temptations. And I'll think if I could just satisfy this temptation or live out this fantasy or have this, that would be life. But what I really want is never that thing. What I really want is the with God life. I want joy. I want peace. And so do you. And the reality is that's only available with God. The problem with sin and temptation is it promises us that life, but it never delivers. What we want, what we need is life with God, with him present, with my mind and will, my habits surrendered to him in full alignment with him. Well, I want that life. I want it for myself. I want it for the church, for you. And more than that, God wants it for our church. The most important experimenting we'll ever do at Hill Country Bible Church is not around technology or ministry systems or anything else. It's about you doing life with God every moment. Second, the best place to start doing life with God is in small moments. You know, when I wake up, I invite God, be with me this day. You ever wake up early in the morning or in the middle of the night and find your mind racing or worrying about stuff? Well, that's a great time to just stop and invite God in. Use scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are, here's that phrase again, with me. When I'm at work, right, I ask God, be with me. Would you help me with the work I'm doing here? Can we do it together, God? And when I remember that, it's like this tremendous load falls off of me. I remember my well-being does not depend on how people think I'm doing. When I get preoccupied with myself, my not-God thoughts take over. And it's like, boy, if I don't do this really well, that'll be bad, and people won't like it, and then I'll feel miserable, and my life will be really horrible. And then I remember God is right there with me. I mean, I want to love people, do the best I can, but my eternal destiny does not ride on how some group of people think I'm doing. Neither does yours. Why, when you realize that, there is life and there is joy and there is peace. Another barrier that keeps me from life on the vine is hurry. For me, that gets combined with worrying, being selfish, taking myself way too seriously. And so I have this odd habit because I'm often tempted to be in a hurry where I rush through mundane things in life. 
I'll time myself to see how quickly I can shave or put my contacts in. I'm literally counting seconds in my mind. I'll often try to multitask in the craziest ways. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we had a local pastor Zoom meeting and I was eating lunch, listening to the speaker, taking notes and responding to my church emails simultaneously. And I may or may not have actually gone to the bathroom during that meeting, okay? With my computer on mute, that might've happened. But you see, I multitask all the time. But when your mind is preoccupied like that, there's no way to stay on the vine. And life on the vine is mostly about small moments. So my goal is to remember to let God run the universe. Well, there's so much joy and peace every moment when I remember that. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind not set that way is death. That word death literally means separation, separation from God, from joy, from peace. And so this experiment of being with God happens best in small moments. Often we fail, but don't give up in defeat. Learn from every one of those moments. And then third, people will look different when I see them with God. People are a huge part of the with God life because the one who lives in love is the one who is living in God. If Jesus were physically present when I talk with you, then what he sees in you, I would tend to see in you. It's really interesting. If I'm aware God is here, it'll change how I respond to you when I see you because I'll think, wow, what does God see in you? Oh, it's something unbelievable, something valuable. This is exactly what Paul is after when he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You know, now that I'm living with God, I won't look at people like I used to look at them in a not God kind of way. I'll look at people with God and that changes everything. Now, something that struck me in life is how sometimes as a person gets older, a kind of beauty emanates from them. Have you ever noticed that? We live in a culture that worships youth, young bodies, but I had an aunt who was in her 80s and I can remember looking at her And just from her eyes and her face and her smile, it was like the veil got really thin and somehow her soul just shone through. And there was incredible beauty. All of a sudden we know this is something sacred. But too often, I don't see that when I look at people. The habits of my eyes, my mind and my body get in the way all the time. You all know about that when you watch people interact. You see it all the time, judgmentalism, elitism, need to be around somebody important, fear, envy, lust. And by the way, we all wrestle with sin. We may hide it well among our Christian friends, but we all do. And we ought to be able to be honest with each other and say, man, I am wrestling with sexuality, with money, with greed, with anger, with impatience, with my spouse, with my kids, with myself. Christians ought to feel safe and loved enough to be honest about how they mess up and confess that to their Christian brothers or sisters. And we say it all the time around here, we are imperfect people learning to do life with a perfect God. And if we're gonna live the with God life, that's part of what we'll have to work on, actually being honest with each other. Now, every experiment has a clear beginning. So I'd like us to begin this experiment today, living the with God life. And I want to leave you this morning with a word picture of ashes. See, ashes are a picture of life without God. You know, people in our world 
get all excited about, have to give the, get the big house, right? Have to get the big car, have to get the big office, big bucks, big resume. You know, in a thousand, two thousand years, all that stuff will just be a pile of ashes. Second Peter 3, 7 says, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. In a thousand years, nobody is going to try to impress anybody else by saying, hey, take a look at my pile of ash. I have a big pile. I mean, that's all the stuff of this world. And for some reason, we think, man, that guy has the good life. In a thousand years, it's going to be really clear. Ashes are a perfect picture of the without God life because it won't last. The only thing that will last, hear me on this, is your relationship with God and other people. That's it. So let's focus on living the with God life now. The great commandment, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Pray with me. As we pray right now, let me just encourage you to be still to quiet your mind. You know, don't think about what you have to go do next. Instead, acknowledge that Jesus is present with you right there, right now. And welcome him into this moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we often, so often, rush through our days blind to the wonder of your presence and goodness toward us. Help every one of us, God, not to miss you, but to include you in every moment of our days. To begin now this experiment of abiding in Jesus, like a branch stays connected to a vine. And we know that we will fail all over the place, but God, help us to persist. Thank you for the times we'll get it right. And thank you especially that you're the one doing most of the work. All we have to do is ask you to be with us in whatever we're doing in life. And we know that your wisdom and your power is available to us every moment of every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.